Good morning, and uh, thank you for the opportunity to share with you. Thank you for your uh, ongoing support of our ministry, even though we've gone recently through this uh, change in our assignment. And uh, that's what I want to start with uh, this morning, is the change in our ministry assignment that took place in March, and uh, what we're doing now with Camino Global. Camino Global... It used to be called the Central American Mission, and then they spread out beyond Central America to Spain and to South America and to Albania and other places, so they changed their name to CAM International. But then uh, recently they went through another refocus in their ministry and changed it to Camino Global in 2012. Uh, what they found was that uh, Spanish-speaking people have spread out all over the world, and they want to work with Spanish-speaking people uh, wherever they're at, so that's why the name change took place to Camino Global. Did you know that Spanish is the second most widely spoken language in the world? 480 million plus, plus Spanish speakers are in the world. That's almost approaching a half a billion uh, speakers in the world. Now, of course, uh, Chinese would be first and English would be third, but squeezed in between them is uh, the language of Spanish. Camino is the word way in Spanish. When Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life, no man comes to the Father but by me. In Spanish, that's yo soy el camino. Camino is way. La verdad y la vida, that's also what he said. So uh, that's what that particular word means. Uh, I was um, interested to discover that Camino Global actually has Canadian roots. And uh, it was begun in prayer by two women. These women, and I think the names are up there for you to see, Mrs. Robert Lang and Mrs. Robert Ross, uh, were married to coffee plantation owners in Costa Rica. They lived in the city of San Jose. And as they looked around, they saw no gospel work and no churches where God was worshipped and the gospel was preached. So they would meet regularly to pray. That was in around 1890. About the same time, God began to stir in the hearts of some men in Texas and some people in Texas uh, a burden for Central America. And so uh, they got together and formed Central American Mission. And it was formed on the basis of Acts 1.8. You will be my witnesses uh, when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And they thought this way. Missions is exploding all over the world. We're sending missionaries far and wide, but nobody's concerned about our own backyard. And they said, Central America for us is our Samaria. So they founded the Central American Mission. They began to pray for people. And uh, among the people that founded it was C.I. Schofield. Anybody ever heard of the Schofield Bible? We've heard of it. Uh, he was one of the original founders uh, of the Central American Mission. William and Minnie McConnell were the first missionaries, and guess where they ended up? They went out to San Jose, Costa Rica, and guess who they contacted? Those two women who had been praying over the years that God would send someone to do gospel work that could speak the language and work in that area. Uh, over the many years uh, that have ensued, 
From the beginning, uh, CAM missionaries or Camino Global missionaries have focused on working with Spanish-speaking people and some tribal peoples as well, uh, raising up and helping to mature believers in Christ. Many different approaches have been taken, evangelism, church planning, children's ministries, youth ministries, caring for orphans, Bible training, seminary education, pastoral care, work uh, relief and development, all those different kinds of things that uh, have been done so that the God gospel grows, the church is established, and um, the kingdom of God moves ahead. Acts 1.8 continues. It's God's program. It's, God's, it's a description of God's mission to the world. And it's even amazing today that uh, time after time we run into people who, who said, God has called me. Sometimes uh, we think of Acts 1-8 in the context of international, cross-cultural missions, that we need to go somewhere, and that certainly is the uh, basic idea behind missions. But we know from Acts 1-8 that that's not the only focus. Sometimes missions is simply across the street or to somebody that we know who's close by. So we have this focus from Acts 1-8 that really is uh, a framework for what God wants to do in your life and in our lives as a congregation. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And there's no sign that Acts 1-8 has, uh, is letting up. Uh, we read in the book of Acts, almost, not quite, 2,000 years ago, how God stirred in people's lives the desire to move out and to go to different places. And that still happens in our world because it's God's program. Camino Global got started in Canada in 1950, basically as a receding office for donors who wanted to give to American missionaries. And then they became Central American Mission of Canada in 68 and changed their name according to what they had done in the States to Camino Global in 2013. Except the government said to them, Camino Global doesn't mean anything, you can't use that name. So they eventually negotiated with them and they ended up with Camino Global Ministries, which developed developed in Canada, or, or the name change happened in 2013. Uh, Camino Global has approximately 300 missionaries serving on 26 teams in 11 countries and four continents in the world. Approximately 39 missionaries who are based in the U.S. but might have uh, contacts in Canada, they may be Canadian or they may have studied at Prairie Bible Institute or something like that. 39 receive support through Canada, plus we have a few Canadian missionaries. There's a couple in full-time ministry doing church planning in Mexico City, Jim and Sherry Cottrell, a couple uh, who do non-resident missionary work in Cuba and teaching at a master's level for uh, in seminary. Uh, Michelle Koo just finished up uh, in Toronto with Kids Games. Kids Games is a uh, kind of like a VBS program that was in association with the Pan Am Games. And some Spanish-speaking churches in uh, Toronto organized and connected with, uh, with this organization called More Than Gold. And our uh, facilitator and planner there was Michelle Koo. And it was an interesting mix because Michelle is Canadian. Her parents are Chinese. And she was working with Spanish-speaking congregations. And that's just the kind of uh, international mix that we're seeing, particularly in, uh, in the Toronto area. And she lives in Markham, by the way, so close by where you're at. Um, it's, uh, it's an amazing um, experience to talk to young people who, who are aware 
that God has called them. Sam and Alina are two young people from Canada who just finished uh, eight, mu- or eight weeks uh, internship in uh, uh, a city in southern Colombia, way down south, uh, as far as you can go on the Amazon, in, in Colombia, on the Amazon River. It's the only little piece of Colombia that touches the Amazon River. And they were there working with children at risk through a, an orphanage and a children's ministry for eight weeks. Both of them are from Russian background. Alina was actually born in Russia and came here when she was 10 years old. But both Sam and Alina, uh, they're not a couple, just, a, just two young people who said, we uh, sense that God wants us to do something and we'd like to have an experience. So uh, time and time again, we have the privilege of uh, bumping into people or working with people who God is working in their lives and calling them to do something. Camino Global also has an amazing online uh, ministry. It's called Obrero Fiel. What does Obrero Fiel mean in Spanish? Faithful worker. Over 100,000 people are uh, using the resources, many different resources, from initial discipleship all the way through, and I think they even offer a partial doctorate in theology through Obrero Fiel. Uh, Last year in 2014, there was a 50% increase in the number of people using uh, the resources online. And amazingly enough, the single greatest uh, amount of increase came from Japan. What are Spanish-speaking people doing in Japan? Japan doesn't speak Spanish, but there's a whole group of uh, Spanish-speaking believers living in Japan, probably business people we don't know, but who are accessing the resources of Obrero Fiel and doing online training. So uh, we're thankful for uh, moving into this new phase of ministry and doing it as well online. The theme that... uh, Camino Global has chosen for this year, their 125th anniversary, is uh, shaped by the past, driven by the future. We're products of what has happened in our lives and what God has uh, done in our lives and where we've gone, but there is a future that beckons to all of us. Even if you're in your 80s or 90s, there is a future. Uh, And God has a preferred future that pulls us forward and draws us on as we walk with Him. So uh, Camino Global has um, taken that for their theme this year. Shaped by the past, yes, we are who we are because of what has happened, but that isn't all who we are because God has something else in mind for where we're going and we're heading towards that. He has a preferred future for all of us, and certainly for this particular mission organization. So we have a new focus now in Camino Global. In the last five years, they've gone through a process of rebranding, a new name, restructuring to what they call T2 teams, transformed to transform. So doing away with the old field structures, they've formed teams, and a revision to journey with Spanish speakers everywhere in the world. If you want to find out a little more about Camino Global, go online. We have a, an amazing website at CaminoGlobal.org, www.CaminoGlobal.org. Uh, they've done a, an amazing job of uh, putting things there on that particular website. The mission statement of Camino Global is uh, to make disciples of Jesus Christ serving among and with Spanish speakers globally. Many of our Spanish-speaking churches and organizations and people are mature in the Lord, and they're, they're getting a mission's vi- vision to send out from where they are and keep going. Our vision is serving the church 
Camino Global will journey with Spanish speakers everywhere to transform communities, equip believers, and reach the world. And that's the vision that they have. I'd like to share with you now uh, more of a personal perspective from uh, the point of view of uh, Ruth Ann and I as we begin this new chapter in our lives. As I said, March the 1st, we began working with Camino Global. But um, actually, 50 years ago this very month, you can calculate what year that was, 50 years ago this very month, God called both of us in totally separate uh, situations to be missionaries, and we said, Yes, we will be missionaries. Now, what does a 14-year-old, now you know how old I am, what does a 14-year-old know about missions? Well, about all I knew about missions was that you went far away, maybe to a jungle place, because that's the slides that I had seen and missionaries that I'd heard, and you definitely have to leave Canada. So I was sitting uh, comfortably at teen camp in uh, uh, Glen Rock's Bible Conference Grounds, I think it's called, uh, I forget what it's called now, it's uh, a sports camp. What is it called? Muskoka Woods. I was sitting comfortably about uh, right back there where that empty spot is, and, and I said, Lord, if you want me to be a missionary, I'll be a missionary. I'll be happy to be a missionary, but don't ask me to go up to the front. I'm not going. And so uh, <clears throat> even though I had told the Lord yes, I turned around and said no. And that's kind of... Uh, Inconsistent. I mean, it's human, but it's, it's very inconsistent. Talking out of both sides of my mouth, saying yes, Lord, and no. And then it came to my mind a thought. How can I ever be a missionary if I can't walk up, you know, 25 meters to the front and identify with this group of people who are giving their lives to missionary service? How could I ever go outside of Canada if I can't make that short little walk. So uh, those were the first steps of obedience that I took to the Lord's call to missions that began about 50 years ago. At the same time, at Kitchener Camp, now anybody have any idea what Kitchener Camp is? EBC, Emmanuel Bible College campus, you know it, yep, Kitchener Camp. Uh, Ruth Ann responded uh, to a call uh, from uh, Jim Reese, evangelist Jim Reese, and uh, he was preaching from Isaiah chapter 6. Who will go? Who will I send? And she said, here am I, I'll go. And from that day that on that she gave her life to the Lord, she knew someday that she would be a missionary. Uh, we met up at uh, Stainer Camp. I was a counselor in training. I had an afternoon off. And uh, one of the camp directors, uh, who turned out to be my future father-in-law, was there camping with his family. <clears throat> and uh, I noticed this afternoon off, so I went to the, uh, the director and I said, can I have, uh, I don't have anything to do this afternoon, can I have permission to go do something personally? He said, yeah, as long as it's okay. So I went and found Ruth Ann and we had a game of badminton. And that's how we, we met uh, at Stainer Camp. And uh, of course then we were together at um, the same church, at Bethany Church, over the years. So um, our journey together <clears throat> led us into pastoral ministry here in Kitchener, in Kitchener for, for four years, and then a transition that happened in 77. We had a missionary convention. Anybody remember a missionary convention in March? We had uh, February and March. We had missionaries come in from all over, and uh, we had them all in our church at one time or another. And as uh, we were meeting the missionaries and they were coming to visit us, um, there was a thought came to my mind, if you're ever going to be a missionary, I was pastoring at the time, if you're ever going to be a missionary, that's the man that's going to teach you to be a missionary. I thought, oh, that's interesting. I know. I didn't study missions. I, I studied to be a pastor at Emmanuel Bible College, and um, I'm being a pastor, but if I ever uh, want to become a missionary, that's the man. 
And uh, that stuck in my mind for a few days until I couldn't really think of much else, just that I was arguing again with the Lord, uh, saying yes and no. Yes, I'll be a missionary, but right now I'm, I'm fine where I am. Thank you very much. I'm in the pastorate. You don't be a pastor just for a couple of years and then bail out. That's not a good thing to do. You got to hang in there for the long haul. And that's what I'd like to do. So one afternoon I went for a long walk down one of those beautiful bicycle paths in Kitchener somewhere behind St. Mary's Hospital. And I found myself arguing with the Lord. And finally I stopped and said, this is crazy. I'm sorry. Lord, I'll do what you want me to do. I'll be a missionary. If you want me right now, I'll be willing to do it if it's your leading, but, <laughs> but, I'm not going to drag my wife halfway around the world where she doesn't want to go. So I thought it was all settled. I walked back to my office, closed it all up, went home, and Ruth Ann was standing at the stove mixing something, and I don't even think I said hi to her. I just said, what have you been thinking about all day? And she didn't bat an eyelash. Uh, God had been working in her life as well, and had been for many years. She said, um, it's time that we apply to be missionaries. And so right in that very same hour that I had kind of settled it with the Lord, back through her, the Lord was working and saying, it's time. So we ended up uh, applying. Well, eventually we did stay there uh, pastoring for four years. And then uh, we uh, headed off to language school in Texas. Interestingly enough, when we got to language school in Texas, they said, we're going to teach you Spanish, but whatever you do, don't learn whatever they speak in the context. It's not Spanish. It's Tex-Mex. So stick to the stuff that we're teaching you. So anyway, we got through that year of language school and, as was mentioned, to Ecuador in 1980. Um, In Ecuador, we began right away, uh, almost immediately working in in the church, in church work, assigned to a particular area uh, to visit churches and to work with them. Uh, Those churches were without pastors, and so we began to uh, train people, baptismal classes and uh, things like that. We began almost right away in youth class, uh, youth camps. There was a brand new camp in Ecuador and uh, we went to see the property and of course I had all these visions in my mind of, of Mishawa. We had just been involved in the purchase and the, the getting up and running Camp Mishawa. Beautiful place. Anybody know Camp Mishawa? You all know Camp Mishawa. It's a great place. And I went to see this place and it was a swamp. And I thought, who in the world would have thought that there could be a camp on a swamp? But this swamp happens to be located about three or four minute walk, two or three minute walk from the Pacific beaches. So it was very close to a beautiful place. And God had it all planned because about two years later, uh, they widened the highway and took down a hill across from the camp. And guess what happened to all that dirt? Over 10,000 uh, dump loads of dirt got spread on our camp and it became uh, dirt instead of a swamp. So God had things planned all along and it's began a, been a precious place of ministry over many years. And the, <clears throat> the town uh, is called Same, S-A-M-E. Looks like same in English, but that's where we spent many years too, working in youth camp. The first time that we talked to the National Church about youth camp was... Uh, They were very interested in children's camp, but not youth camps. They said, here in Ecuador, a mixed youth camp won't work. It's just not part of of who we are. And we said, well, if you give us a good set of counselors for the the girls and for the guys, we'll see if we can make it work. And so in 1981, uh, the camping ministry began there at the camp at Sami. They had been doing some camps before, but God 
gave us the privilege of going back to that camp uh, once or twice a year to work with young people. And so many of the young people that we worked with in the mid-80s and late-80s are now pastors and leaders in churches. And we thank God for uh, over all those years, we could see how they were developing. Uh, then, as Marilyn mentioned, we moved to Calgary in uh, 98 and were involved in uh, leading our mission. Uh, I was uh, director of missions and administration, executive director of missions and administration until the restructuring in 2005. And my particular job was eliminated. The uh, mission carried on, but at that time we requested uh, reassignment to ministry on the field, and we went to Ecuador to help. I went back, to, we went to Mexico to help train pastors. There were 40 some churches. In, uh, in Mexico, of the Missionary Church of Mexico, and three of the pastors had Bible school training. None of the rest of them had any Bible school training. And my suspicion at the time was that, after I got to know the situation, was that most of those pastors probably had never read the Bible through once. And they were teaching and trying to lead a congregation. So that was the challenge that we had. And the Lord gave us some good years there. Um, we began to get involved in Cuba. We were uh, privileged to travel to Cuba eight times and began to work with the, the uh, Evangelical Missionary Church of Cuba. It's a, a house church movement. It's not one of the denominations that was recognized before 1959. Those denominations continued. They have their church buildings. But all the new... Uh, churches and denominations that have sprung up since that time, and there's many, many of them, uh, because uh, there's been significant uh, growth in the evangelical movement in uh, Cuba from about 2 to 3% of the population in 1959 when the revolution took place till today where it's up around 20, possibly as much as 25% of the population. So there's been uh, explosive growth in the gospel in Cuba and most of the churches are house churches. They meet in houses and, and the government actually coined a term for them. They call them casa culto, which means basically uh, a meeting in a house, but a church meeting in a house. And we had the privilege of working with them for a while. Then uh, Ecuador kept calling us back from about 2005 on after we left the office. They kept writing and saying, we'd like you to come back to work with us. We'd like you to come back to work with us. And so eventually we did in 2011. We worked in a uh, pastoral care program for the Evangelical Missionary Church of Ecuador. Uh, sadly, in Latin America, um, there are, um, there's a very, very high rate of failure among pastors and church leaders. Uh, it's, it's unacceptably high. And the Evangelical Missionary Church of Ecuador said, we want you to work with us with our couples and families in pastoral ministry. And uh, the man that called us back, the president, uh, Teodoro Medranda, said, when I finally get called to come in and mediate or do something in a situation, it's too late. He said, most of the time I just have to say to the pastor and his wife, I'm sorry, this isn't working. You're no longer able to continue pastoring this church. And he said, it's kind of like trying to play a guitar with only one string. He said, I'd like a few more strings on my guitar so we could... We could uh, confront this situation and deal with this situation. So for uh, four years, we had the opportunity of working with them uh, in the development of the pastoral care program that was directed for uh, pastors, wives, and families in ministry. But God impressed on our lives uh, through different ways, and I won't go into all the details of how that happened. 
But through different ways, God began to impress upon us that that chapter of our lives needed to be closed and there was a new one waiting for us. So we had gone back to Ecuador and uh, Camino Global contacted us and said, uh, uh, we want you to be the next director, uh, Canadian director, national director for Camino Global. That was uh, an email after some correspondence and and a personal visit that they had. That was an email on January the 10th. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, December the 10th. And they said, we've been in this search for over a year and a half. And we'd kind of like to wrap it up by the end of the year. So if you could give us uh, an answer by the end of the year. In fact, they said, it would be better by Christmas. So we had two weeks from the 10th to the 25th to think about it and pray about it. But the thing was that God had prepared our hearts for almost a year and a half or a little more than that, that something new was coming. And this chapter of our lives was ending, the one in Ecuador with uh, the the pastoral care ministry, and there was a new uh, thing happening or a new ministry happening. So on March the 1st, uh, we began with Camino Global Ministries here in Canada. Our assignment is to shape the growth of a movement among Spanish-speaking people in Canada and beyond. Part of our our regular assignment is just the administrative operation of the mission here in Canada. But the new assignment with the new vision that Camino Global has is to do something among the Spanish-speaking people and the churches here in Canada. So that's uh, exciting to begin to think what God might have in mind. Uh, people are coming to Canada from all over the world. I was listening to T.V. Thomas, who's an eminent mission speaker, and he said, it doesn't happen at any other embassies, but almost every place I travel, he travels, and there's, uh, I find out that early in the morning, two, three, four in the morning, there are lineups starting at Canadian uh, consulates around the world, many different countries. And he said, the world wants to come to Canada. And Canada is allowing in a certain number of immigrants, but it's such a favorable place or or it it seems to be the place that the majority or many people in the world want to come. And uh, God is bringing the nations to Canada. We have this marvelous opportunity to work with them. We don't have to go as far now, but it's not as comfortable sometimes having all the nations come to Canada because obviously Canada changes. But it's exciting to think what God might have in mind, in our case, for the Spanish-speaking people that are coming to Canada. The other area that we work in is mobilization, and I've tried to get my head around mobilization. Of course, initially mobilization is a military term. It means mustering the troops, getting all the the recruits into uh, into, uh, trained and ready to go overseas to fight or get get them in the army. But this word, uh, in our context, means taking the next step of obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ in your life. Mobilization is to journey with people and congregations to help them move ahead by taking the next step of obedience to the Lord in their personal journey and then their journey together as a congregation. Of course, that's exciting. Uh, what What is God leading you to do? What's the next thing if you want to get on track with the Lord? What's the next thing that you have to do? And it's a privilege to be able to work in that. I'd like to close with a verse this morning. Uh, Paul's um, statement in Acts 20, 24. I don't have a, uh, a life verse, 
there's too many good verses in the Bible for me to have, I, my personal perspective, to have one verse. But if I were to pick uh, the top ten or whatever, this probably would be one of them, certainly among them. Paul, when he was uh, threatened, he was visiting the Ephesian elders on the beach and uh, he was uh, talking to them, uh, going over the life of ministry that he had spent there for two or three years, saying goodbye to them and said, I'll never see you again. And they said, but you've got to be careful because the Holy Spirit is telling us that when you go back to Jerusalem, you're going to get in trouble. You're going to be arrested. You're going to be in prison, etc., etc. And this was Paul's response, Acts 20, 24. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. I like what Paul said there. He said, first of all, I have a life, but to me alone it's not worth much. Life with a purpose is life dedicated to God. And Paul found his life in dedicating his life to God. And then he talked about a race that he had to finish. The race <clears throat> that Paul was running was more like a marathon. I have a brother-in-law who's an Ironman athlete. He does the swimming and the running and the, and the bicycling. And he's, he's, ridden, he's run, I don't know, he's, he's in his early 50s now, and he's run, over, I don't know how many marathons. Uh, but he, he tells me, when you get to the uh, begin the Ironman or, or marathon, they have a meeting, kind of a social meeting with the people involved, and uh, what they what they talk about is how many have you finished? How many have you finished? It's not the fact that you uh, were the first, the second, or you won medals or whatever you're doing. You had the top time. The basic idea is how many have you finished? And the idea is the same. How many of us are going to finish well? in what the Lord has given us to do and finish this race. This race of being a disciple is a marathon race, race that lasts all of our life. And the, 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 the aim or the goal is to finish well. That's what we're aiming at in this race, to keep going and finish well. Then he talked about a job to do or a task to complete. The work that God has given us to do. Paul was called specifically to be the apostle to the Gentile people, to the Greek people in the Greek uh, world. He was uh, particularly gifted, having been educated and growing up in the, in the Jewish system and knowing the scriptures, but also having a Greek father, so he knew the Greek culture and uh, was a special instrument that God used. He had given them a specific task in his time. You and I also are gifted in certain ways, and God has given us a vocation. A vocation, whether that be your profession or your work or somewhere, uh, some way that you are skilled in which you can serve God. And that's something that God has called you to do and wants you to do and wants you to find out how to serve Him through that vocation. And you have a testimony to give. The testimony is not, look what I've done. The testimony is, look what God has been doing in my life and through my life. It's a testimony to God's grace or to what God has been doing. God called us as a couple, as individuals, to be missionaries a long time ago. At least, humanly speaking, in a lifetime, that's, it's a long time ago. 
But it's only by His grace that He called us and that we listened. It's only by His grace that we happened to be in a church that was mission-minded. It's only by His grace that our denomination responded positively and said, yes, uh, we want to send missionaries and keep on sending missionaries. It's only by His grace that people begin to say, we'll support you, we'll pray for you, we'll give so that you can go. All of that's through God's grace. And we just thank you for your small part in that too. You and I are all called to serve God in specific and certain ways. In a general way, to be a believer, to be a disciple, but in specific ways where you work, where you live, uh, with your skills, with your abilities, the things that you've learned to do and the things that you'd like to do. Through that, God wants you to serve him and dedicate your life to him. Life really isn't worth living unless you live it for the Lord. Then it's worth absolutely everything. So let's pray. Father, we thank you that by your grace we are called to serve you. We thank you that we can be your sons and your daughters beloved by you because of what Jesus has done. And we pray for the next step of obedience that you want us to take. Help us, Father, to understand that and to courageously take that step. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.